0: We're starting a new series, uh, you asked for it, and uh, as I've been looking at the things that you have submitted, it may be that I asked for it, because uh, you're giving me some good stuff, and I'm going to ease into it lightly on this first one. We've just come out of this uh, series on Easter, if you remember we had six weeks where we talked about the cross of Christ, and what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, and um, we talked about his, uh, drawing a people to himself and a people who are passionate for good works and for, uh, uh, judging the world and proving the love and the faithfulness of God and fulfilling the promise of his resurrection. And then last week we finished off talking about how Christ accomplished through the cross the establishment of the new covenant in his blood. And, uh, I don't know about you. It was a good series for me. I loved it. Um, and, uh, just learning more about what Christ did and keeping the cross at the center of our of our faith. And uh, this morning, as we start into You Asked For It, these are not as a series, but they're all topical because during the summer, people kind of come and go, and it's hard to keep the thread. So it's 10 sermons, uh, each individual standalone topics on what you submit to me. And so I've had about 30, but keep them coming. The more that double up, the better. But this morning, um, I've uh, picked out uh, this topic in this chapter because as I was going through the selections and as I was reading it, um, it really struck me as a chapter that communicates so clearly perhaps where we are right now as a church and it was just a message that God put on my heart from the person that submitted this, Isaiah 58, a chapter in the Old Testament in the prophet Isaiah that communicates so clearly the heart of God for his people and the promises that God wants to pour out for a people that desire to seek after the same passion and the same heart that he has. Now, I've been here for about nine months now, so I think I can say with a certainty that I really love Lakeside, and I really love Halliburton, uh, the people, not the buildings and the trees. But and, And I hope that I've been here long enough that some of you, hopefully most of you, have been able to see my heart uh, for the church and for you and I love lakeside and I have a heart for lakeside and the people here and the families I have a passion to see healing and restoration and grace personally for me in this church and to see ministry of healing and a Ministry of mercy and love flow out from here to the community That's my heart and that's my passion and I say all that because it's true and because I Think the person who submitted this chapter of Isaiah 58 at least I'm hoping they didn't give any more detail I think the person who submitted this chapter to me as a sermon topic, I'm sure they have the same love for Lakeside that I just expressed, that they love the church and they want to see the church aligned with the passions of God and ministry and blessing poured out on this church and then poured out into the community of Halliburton. And I guess that that is their intent because this text is overflowing with the heart of God for his people. That they be sincere partakers of his promises and also the heart that God has for people who need his justice and his mercy and his love to be expressed through his people. That's what Isaiah chapter 58 is about. And that's what we're going to look at today. I'm just going to pray before we read it. Father God, I just give you thanks this morning for your word. I would ask that as we look into this chapter in Isaiah, that you would uh, open our eyes to what you are speaking to your people and that we would sincerely come uh, to uh, just an appreciation of what your desires are and what your passion is, and that we would join you in that, and and the act of joining you in that would see all these blessings poured out on this church and in this community and on people. Father, that's what we seek. So just ask that your Holy Spirit would come now, come and open our eyes, open our minds, soften our hearts, give me clarity in how I, I I teach this. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 58, 1-12. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light... Break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And if you take away the yoke from your midst, and the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so there's a pattern for Isaiah 58. The pattern of Isaiah 58, it's sort of, you could break it up in three sections, and I left out the last couple verses of the 58, he changes topics there a bit. The pattern is in three sections that there are a people of God, there are passions of God, and then there are the promises of God. But what I want to do as I read this is I'm going to mix this up a little bit, I'm going to flip it around, and I'm going to look at the promises first, and then I think I'm going to look at the people and the passions. But it may turn out that I look at the promises and then the passions and then the people. So if the slides get mixed up, it's not Victoria's fault, it's mine. Because I'm just going with it here. And so so this is the, these are the three sections. The people of God, the passions, and the promises. But we're going to start with the promises and go to the people and the passions. And so when I talked earlier about my heart for the church and my love for Lakeside and my love for Halliburton and the passion that I have to see the blessing of God on it and see those ministries go forth, and I think that same heart was behind the person who submitted this, where then do we see those promises and that passion? And if you look in the middle section of the text, it's sort of broken up, but if you look in that middle section and then move to the end of the text, this is what God says about his people. I just read it. He says, Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And then you shall when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. That part there. And then he goes on. And here's the passion for this church. This is what he wants for his people. And then he says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And then shall your light break forth like the dawn, it says. And then shall your healing... Bring up speedily righteousness going before you and the glory of God in our path behind us. And notice nine, he says that the Lord, you'll call out and the Lord will answer. And he'll say, here I am. That's God's heart for his people. That's the people that God wants. And just as an aside on translation here that I chose, I waffled back and forth on the translation to use because the ESV actually here can, Read kind of difficult in the first part, and I was trying to find a translation that worked really well. And, and I kept going back with the NET and the NLV and stuff like that, but in the NET it says, then your light will shine like the sunrise. It's like, really? Your light will shine? You know, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Like, that's not what it says. It says your light will break forth like the dawn. Right? That's, that's what it says. It doesn't say your light's going to shine. It says it's going to break forth like the dawn. It says in the NET, it says that your restoration will arrive quickly. Well, that's true, I suppose. But that's not what it says. It says your healing will spring upon you. Right? It says it's going to come. It's going to burst out. And that's why translation is important. I just say that. Because translation is important. I was trying to find a translation here that was communicating what God was communicating to His people. That He wants our light to burst forth. That He wants our healing to spring up speedily. Right? The the NET says that your, your godly behavior will lead you forward. That's not what it says. It says the righteousness, your righteousness will go before you. And our righteousness is now Christ as we know from that series we just came through. So we put Christ ahead of us and he's leading our army in, in the glory of the Lord is guarding our backs. That's what that's what he's saying there. And we don't want to lose the power of the prophetic verse. The imagery is part of the message of what God is getting across to his people. So when I read that, this is this is the part that gripped me when I read that, I thought, now, isn't this what we want for Lakeside? Isn't this what we want for ourselves? Right, Of course, it's exactly what God wants for His people. We want our light to break forth like the dawn. God wants our healing to instantly spring upon us. God desires that our righteousness is going ahead of us and that we leave in our passing as we went by that people would see the glory of God in our passing. This is the kind of people He desires us to be. And when I read that, I thought, yes, that's my heart for Lakeside. Yes, that's what we want. We want to be bursting forth like the dawn. We want healing to spring up. We want our righteousness going before us. And then if we keep reading into the third section of the text, we see the promises that God has for for Lakeside, for His people, personally and as a church, for people who are like that. If you look at the second half of verse 10 down to the end of 12... He says, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Oh man, that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good for Lakeside? I mean, if I was up here as a pastor and sat down with the elders and said, you know, Paul, lay out a vision for Lakeside. I'd just go here. This, this is what we want right here. That sounds good. I don't need to make anything up. You know, God has spelled it out for us. Isn't this what we want for our church? Isn't this what we want for Halliburton? Wouldn't this be a blessing on the people, even as Elder Graham was praying? Wouldn't this be a blessing on our families and our co-workers and our people of Lakeside? Was this church that God wants to pour out these things, these promises for us, His people? I mean, you just look at them. If you go through, I think there's about 12 of them. Light in darkness in 8A and 10B. All the dark places of our hearts and all the dark places in our past, in all the dark places in our families and in this county and in this village. There are dark places where light needs to shine. And God says, I I want to be light in those dark places. I want you to be light in those dark places. The spiritual darkness or abuse or addiction or despair. And we saw some of that on display just yesterday. Right, There are dark places in our families and in our past and in this county and in this village and God is saying your light can break forth like the dawn and the shadows be like noonday sun. That's what I want for my people, to be light in darkness. Secondly, that He promise, His desire for us is healing for ourselves and for others in the second part of verse 8 there. Physical, emotional, and relational healing. He wants that healing to spring up upon us. Not something that takes years and years and years. God wants to heal us immediately of the hurt physically and the sickness and the emotional damage and the relational damage that's been done. God's passion for His people is that there be healing that springs upon them. And He promises a a righteousness going before us like an army. The picture here is like an army. And so our righteousness going before us Sort of breaking into the darkness. Christ our righteousness going before us. And a rear guard of God's glory. This is what He wants for His people. And fourthly, continuous guidance from God. Verse 11a there, He says that We will have guidance continually from God, that He will continually guide us as a church, as a family. Can you imagine to have the continuous guidance of God? Knowing His will, stepping in the way that He would have us step. What job do we take? You know, how do I meet this need right now? How do I solve this family dispute that's been going on for decades? You know, what ministries as a church do we offer? How do I present the gospel to this community or to my co-worker? If you could imagine that God wants this for His people, that He would be guiding us day by day, that we would be praying and seeking His will and God's guidance with us continually as a people, as individual families and as a church. This is what He wants. This is the promises. He's listing promises to His people that if they have the same passions He has, this is what I want to pour out on you. Fifthly, water and refreshment in dry seasons. We want that as a church, don't we? In verse 11 there. To be refreshment to people who are in dry seasons of life. To be a people that are springs of living water. In John 7.37, if you want to see this in the New Testament, Jesus explains this as in a the, in the New Testament context. In John 7.37, he says, "...on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out in Jerusalem, "'If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water.'" Streams of living water. And it's the same promise that God gave through Isaiah to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. He said, you, you have my passions. You pour out yourself in the way that I ask you to pour yourself out. You will be water and refreshment in dry places. And again, I asked, like, if I was to paint a picture, you know, what would be my hope and my dream for lakeside? It would be exactly that. That the, that people would look at lakeside and say, there's refreshment. There is water. I am in a dry spell in my life or I was in a dry place. And Lakeside, the people of Lakeside, the church, the the body of believers there were refreshment. They were water. They were cool drink on my parched tongue. And I could go and I knew that I was going to get refreshed there. It's what we want as a church to receive this promise. And then in 11c, God says, I'll give you strong bones. I will strengthen your bones. Can you imagine that in our families, and our community, the resilience and the strength of strong bones? Don't we want that as a church? Don't we want that as a people? Don't we want that even for Halliburton, for community as a whole? Not something that is easily broken. Not something that is easily knocked off or knocked down. Not something that is precarious, whether it's economically or emotionally or spiritually or character or morally. God says, I'll give you strong bones. You will have resilience. You will have strength. You will be a people built on strong moral bones, strong relational bones, strong character, deep in the bones of the church. And then ultimately, those strong bones in the community. What a blessing that would be if God fulfilled this promise in us to give us strong bones as a church and as a people and then he goes on i think like the seventh one i'm on now to be a watered garden at the end of 11 there he says will be a watered garden that does not fail a constant place of refreshment that generation after generation year after year the people of god in this community would be a place that does not fail it would be like an oasis in the desert And no matter how many times you travel across that desert, no matter how many dry seasons you go through, that oasis is always there and you can count on it. Journey after journey after journey, that oasis never lets you down. And then near the end here, I think eight or nine I'm on now, to have your ruins of all kinds rebuilt. To have your ancient ruins restored. Right? That one's awesome. Right. I mean, it's good that we're getting the basement fixed under the ancient church over there. <laughs> That's good, right? So it's good that God is fulfilling that promise and having our ancient ruins restored uh, in the old section of the church there. That's good. Get those things repaired. But God here, understand, God's not talking about physical oasis or physical gardens. He's not talking about physical ruins, right? God is talking about all the dusty, neglected broken down places in our lives and in our church and in our community. And there are a lot of things that we have made a ruin of, right? We've made a ruin out of neglect. We've made a ruin of things, maybe even out of strife and warfare. And God says it's his heart to pour out these promises on his people that their ruins would all be rebuilt whether it's the ruins of a marriage whether it's the ruins of a friendship whether it is the ruins of a wasted season of our life where we look back and say man we did we just screwed up for like 5 years man i wish i could get those years back you know or we ruined a like a like i said a relationship or or we ruined a part of our life through addiction or through just stupidity or foolishness or through anger and strife and god says look i want to rebuild those ruins I want to get those dusty, neglected, torn down parts of your life and I want to rebuild them. And if you seek after the things I seek and if you have a sincere heart towards me, these are the promises that God is giving His people. He just pours them out here. But I love that one, to have our ruins rebuilt. Man, i got some ruins I would love to have rebuilt. Some neglected, broken down places in our lives and in our church to rebuild. But he doesn't even say that, he says, and then many generations, I think I'm on 11 now, maybe, many generations set on a strong foundation, oh no, nine, I'm just on nine, getting ahead of myself, many generations set on a strong foundation in verse 12b, right, so he's saying it's not just your ruins rebuilt, it's not just your bones that are made strong, God says that for my people, the promises that I want to pour out, the vision that I have for lakeside, for my... Children is that many generations would be set on a strong foundation. That the blessing of this people of God that lay hold of these promises is that their children and their children's children for many generations are set on a strong foundation. Man, don't we want that for Lakeside? Right? That it's not just that things are good in our time, in our generation. And yeah, I had great years at Lakeside and you know things were really good for me. Well, good for you. But what about your children and your children's children? And God says... I don't want to just pour out this blessing on you. I don't want to just make you strong. I don't want to just rebuild your ruins for you. I want to take the whole people of God and make the generations beyond to be set on a strong foundation so that your children and your grandchildren are reaping the blessing of this strong foundation and this strong bones and these rebuilt ruins. What a set of blessings God lays out here. And you keep going, and he, says, and he says, and a legacy, a remembrance of our church, of our generation, of God's people who were the restorers of the streets. And this is where I get the idea of the village, the community in 12b. To be known as the people who restored the streets, who started a movement, who worked among the people, who cleaned up the trash, who reformed the concrete, who filled in the cracks, who painted the walls, who fixed the windows, who restored the city. And again, God is not talking about a physical city here, is He? Right? We can think about it, we can picture it as a metaphor of you know, going up and getting the concrete and the cold patch and fixing the potholes and making the sidewalks better and putting up the lights and, you know, taking the boards down and putting up windows and painting things to be restoring the village, to be restoring the city, restoring the seats, the streets. But the legacy, what will be remembered for is the restoration of the community of the village. God's saying, if, if you do these things, if you are these people and you have the passion that I have, And, and I pour out these blessings on you. Your legacy will be remembered as a people who were good for this city, who were good for this town, who were good for this village, who were good for the county. People will remember you as the people who restored us from where we are today. So again, what a vision for Lakeside. What a, what a vision for us. Right? My heart for Lakeside is to be this people. God's heart for Lakeside is that we would be this kind of people, the recipients of these kinds of blessings. This is what He lays out for His people Israel. This is what He lays out for us through Christ. That we would be the beneficiaries of all these promises. It's an amazing... I mean, look at them all. Right? Light and darkness, healing, righteousness, guidance, refreshment, strong bones, watered gardens, ruins rebuilt, strong foundation for generations to come, and a legacy of restoration. Like if I just had to... my work is done. That's my vision for Lakeside. Right? God's spelled it out for us. So now we got to go back, though. Right? I was doing it backwards. I <laughs> wanted to give you the good news first. Now, who are these people? Who are these people that get these blessings? What What is it that we need to be to be those people? And this pattern of Isaiah, the three sections you remember, is that there's a people of God, passion of God and the promised results we did the promised results and a little bit of God's passion we'll touch on that but there's a picture painted in the first few verses of the people in decline a people of God who are in decline and and the text gives the ways that they're in decline in verse one it says cry aloud and don't hold back lift up your voice like a trumpet declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins Yet they seek me daily and they delight or want to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and didn't forsake the judgment of their God. You have to understand, you have to read into the words how he's saying it. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me my righteous judgments. In other words, they ask for my help. And they appear to delight to draw near to me. They love the being favored by God. They like that part. But they say, why have we fasted and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge? And then God explains. He says, look, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Then you turn around and you oppress all your workers. And you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. A fasting like yours on this day will not make your voice heard on high. So God is saying to Israel, this is the bad news, Israel's in this situation, a little bit of context The people of Israel are God's chosen people. God picked Abraham out of all the earth as the recipient of his promise. He could have picked anybody. He picked Abraham. And from Abraham, he created this mighty nation through Isaac and Jacob. And this nation, Israel, was blessed by God and favored by God. They were his chosen people. He picked them. He said, through you, I'm going to make myself known to the world. And they were close to God, but they constantly drifted. They were a people who kept drifting away from God. The nation of Israel was always at its closest to God, and the nation of Israel was always actually sincerely seeking God when they were either in serious trouble, then they would cry out, or right after God had just delivered them a major victory, then they would celebrate God and worship him in truth for a while. And then they begin to drift again back into their old ways and into their own gods and into their selfish gain and into their apathy and eventually after apathy into wickedness and strife. And Israel kept going through this seasons of drawing of near and then drifting away and then drawing near and then drifting away. And this is where Israel's at again in this chapter. And Isaiah is the prophet that God sends to rebuke Israel and say, you're drifting away again. You're apathetic. You once had your hearts aligned with me, with God, but now you're seeking the wrong things. They still fast and they still bow their heads and they still do the sackcloth and ash thing, and you know they go through all the public religious observances, but in their hearts they don't know what God's desires are. They're not seeking God's desires; they're seeking their own. And again, we can get this in a New Testament context. James in the New Testament says the exact same thing about Christians. He says, "What causes quarrels?" That's a James four. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and when you do ask, you don't receive because you've asked wrongly to spend it on your own passions. It's exactly, I mean, James could have just been quoting Isaiah here. It's the same thing. God says, yeah, you're fasting and, and you're bowing and nodding and you're doing all the religious observances, but your heart is not after mine. You're after your own gain. In fact, as soon as you get out of synagogue, you immediately go and, uh, you know, oppress your workers. You know? You, you claim to seek God's will, but you're not listening. And your religious ceremony is for show. It's just a covering for apathy. Or worse, selfishness and cruelty. And so God has a message for them. He says, confront my people. You know, they act as though they're seeking me, but they don't. They want to know my requirements and my ways, but not really. They don't follow them. They're acting as if they were a nation that did what was right, but they don't do what's right. They pretend they don't reject my law, but they do. They just ask for guidance. They seem to want to be near me, but then they complain and they say you don't notice because I don't give them what they want because they want the wrong things. And so it's a people that God is, of God who are going through all the motions of religion, but they've really drifted away. And the church can go through these same seasons, right? We can get into difficulty and we can draw near to God and, and in those times when the church is in difficulty and everybody is pulling together and the prayer meeting is full and, you know, you're praying two or three times a week and the community draws together and there's this sense in the church of seeking after God's will and there's a humility and a worship and a pleading for God to show his face and his ways and you really draw near and then you get the victory and the church, whatever it was, is overcome and God puts you on a path of victory and and you celebrate and for a little while you walk really close with God and everybody's passionate and Enthusiastic, and then you start to drift again, just like Israel does, right? Because, you know, the crisis is gone and the victory's been won, and then it's just church again, Sunday after Sunday. It's just the routine. Serve in the nursery. Teach Sunday school. And we start to drift. But God says, don't drift. Don't let your passions wane. Remember those times when you were drawn so close to me. When you were passionately seeking after my desires and I gave them to you. Christ died, you remember, to draw people passionate for good works. But this is the type of people that God is speaking to here. This people that have drifted. And so he tells them, he tells them his passions. Man, I gotta hurry, sorry. He tells them his passions. In the second section in the pattern of Isaiah here, it's the people of God and the passion of God and then the promises of God. And in the second section, he tells them, he says, here's my passions. He says, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? He's speaking there of the Jews. He's saying, you're not even taking care of your own countrymen. You're Israel. You've had to stick it out through thick and thin. Everyone around you is an enemy. And here you are, not even looking out for your own flesh. You can say the same thing to us. Are you going to turn your back on your own brothers and sisters in the street and not clothe them, not feed them, not take the yoke from them? He says, then if you take the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, If you stop all that nonsense and you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, that's when all those promises come. What are the five passions of God really quickly? God is passionate about five needs for His people. The need for freedom. God is passionate about the loosing of bonds, about the undoing of the straps, of the yoke, of letting the oppressed go free. And I could elaborate on all kinds, right? From prison, literally, prison ministry, yes, people... Don't set them free. They're there for a reason. Um, but they need to be set free from what put them there. They need to be set free from the oppression. Whether it's addiction, whether it's cultural false identity, especially for women, young girls, right? Whatever oppresses us, whatever binds us, God, God's heart is that people be free from that. And the freedom is in Christ. The freedom isn't a true identity from him. Freedom from sin, freedom from abuse, freedom from addiction. God's heart is for freedom to loose those bonds. That's he what he wants us to help people do, to be free. And then three in the middle, need for food, need for shelter, and need for clothing. God has a passion that people's needs are met physically. He says feed them, give them a home, clothe them. God desires mercy and justice in society. And then fifthly, the need for peace, the need for dignity and whole relationships. And where do I get that from? The wagging of the finger or the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. God says, my passion is that there be a peace among people, that you put your finger away and stop pointing it in people's faces and speaking wickedness about people. His heart is for justice and his passion is mercy and his wants his people to be filled with that same passion. And God is not looking primarily at our religious behavior. He's not looking at the fasting and the attendance at temple or whatever and the nodding of the heads and the ashes and all the stuff that Israel was doing. He's not looking at religious behavior. He's not interested in upraised arms and heartfelt music and steady church attendance and a gold star and public piety. God is interested in where the rubber meets the road. Are the hands that are raised on Sunday smacking somebody on Monday? Right? Is the smile on Sunday a sneer on Monday? Do we sing with each other in church and then slander each other in emails? Right? That's what God is saying. It's where the rubber meets the road because you can come in on Sunday and it can look awesome. But what's going on Monday to Saturday? God says your concern for the real need for my people will tell me where your heart's at. Your sincere appreciation of the passions that I have and sharing my passion will tell me where your heart's at. So what's the application really quickly so I can get music team up here? How do we become that people that God desires? And I'm going to infer it from the kind of people that God does not desire, which is the nation of Israel in the first text. So I'm going to infer it by saying whatever they are that God doesn't like, we need to be the opposite of them. And so God is we can infer the qualities that God seeks in His people by considering the opposite of the qualities that He's rebuking. And so the qualities that He's rebuking is insincerity. And so we know that God is seeking a people who are sincere, who are not just mouthing the words and putting on a show, but are sincerely seeking after his will and want to do it. Secondly, he doesn't want people who pray without purpose. He wants people who are praying with a purpose and praying diligently, alone and together, corporately. Thirdly, he wants people who are fasting sacrificially, not just putting on a show of fasting, but actually fasting sacrificially. And by that, I mean literally fasting because we should be fasting and Maybe we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, we need to fast, but giving is a type of fasting or sacrificing is a type of fasting, right? Doing without in order that God's ministry can do with. Or fourthly, he's looking for a people to share in his passion, not for people who have a passion for themselves and for serving themselves and for getting what they want from God, but a people who are seeking what he wants and doing those things that he's passionate about, which he's described, those five needs. And fifthly, a people who are actually desiring transformation. Israel was a people who were like, I like everything the way it is, and I don't really want God to change it. And he wants people who actually want to transform a people and a nation and a city and a nation. So quickly, to become those people, that's my vision for Lakeside, all of those promises that God pours out, and to be the people that receive those bonuses, to to receive those blessings a people that not specifically that meet all those merciful needs that God has a heart for, that would be fine. It would be fine if you walked away from this sermon and said, okay, God said I got to go feed the poor and I have to, you know, clothe the naked and I have to, you know, give shelter to people who don't have a home and I have to be merciful. That's fine. You could do that, but I just want to leave you with this at the end. Okay. It's not that we go and do all those things specifically. This is important. Okay. Because we could go and do all those works and we could just, you know, like we just bear down and discipline and we're going to do those things. And, that's great, but we don't, it's not that God, he want, God wants those to be the result of who we are as a people. What God really wants is for us to be transformed so that our hearts are aligned with Him so that we would naturally do those things. Not just do them because they're a list that God gave us, but do them because we've actually been transformed into a people of God who desire those things. You see the difference? So we can run shepherd's table and we can have a youth group and we can do Sunday mornings and we can do lots of things. But if we're not earnestly seeking God first during and always through those things, then, we're, we'll, just, then we'll just return to the days of, of, of not doing them, right? And we won't return to the days of blessing and the days when those promises were coming true at Lakeside as a church. And so my heart for Lakeside is that we'll be that people again. That Lakeside will be a people that seek after the face of God that we will be a people that fast and pray and earnestly desire to know the heart of God so that we can act with our righteousness going before us and the glory of God in our path and that we can be a people that break bonds and set free and feed and clothe and restore dignity and we put our pointy fingers away and we stop speaking wickedness and we restore dignity. And we restore peace among people. And that that will be a time then that's coming when our healing will spring up among us. And our light will cast out darkness. And relationships are going to be restored. And we would see a community transformed. And we would see ruins rebuilt. And streets restored. And all of those promises from verses 10 and on to 12 and on. All pouring out for God's people who have a heart turned sincerely towards Him. That is God's message in Isaiah 58. He says... Here is the people I don't want you to be, here's the people I want you to be, and here's the blessing if you will be those people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Just pray that it would settle in our hearts, that we would see just in this one chapter how clearly you have spoken your heart. That you have all these blessings you want to point that There is not one of those that we wouldn't look at and say, yeah, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for this church. That would be awesome. And so, Father, I would just pray that we would just back up in the chapter a little bit and look at what your heart is then to see who we need to be and that we would just humble ourselves sincerely, that we would again be a church that is seeking after your face, that we would be on our knees in prayer seeking after you, not running out to do busy work, to try to check off the things on your list. But Lord, just seeking your face and humbling ourselves and earnestly, sincerely desiring that our passions and our heart would align with your heart. And then we will have continuous guidance from you to tell us what to do. Father, give us a vision here at Lakeside to be people after your own heart. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.